Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I'm very, very reluctant to categorize just about anyone as genuinely evil. Um, because in my experience, there are very, very few evil people. Uh, you know, Vladimir Putin, now that's evil. Um, but, uh, you know, just about anyone else who's having an honest disagreement, uh, I don't put in that category at all. And one of the symptoms of polarization that we have is that people are willing to cast their ideological enemies or just someone who disagrees with them on something as uh, as evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a disaster. Uh, like I, I, you know, I'm just myself very much not um, not on that page. Uh, and I, I think that we should try and get as many people away from that page as we can. Do you think that makes you a better or worse politician? Probably worse politician yeah. because uh, political figures like to cast things as uh, conflicts between good and evil. Yeah. And it's like, they hey, you, you got to get us the resources we need to defeat evil this one more time. And if we do this, then all will be well. I mean, I, I think that's one reason why the dissatisfaction um, among Democrats uh, right now is pronounced is because it was framed as defeat Trump and then all of these all incredible gone. and then all these incredible things will happen. Like like one of the things that boggles my mind when I hear it and I hear it all the time is when a political figure talks about it's like, hey, if you elect me, we will defeat racism, defeat sexism, defeat. And I'm just like, OK, let me and get we'll this applaud straight. that, by the way. We stand up and get excited about that. Oh, no, 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 let, let me get let me get this yeah. straight. If you're in office, then no one then we won't be a racist society or a sexist society anymore it's like wow that's incredible i mean it's it's kind of the 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 thing that yeah. that you know we were kind of excited about obama, obama it's like oh this sure. mean we're not racist anymore um so so when we continue to make those appeals and then the reality does not change um then people get uh, kind of you know fatigued This week on Forward, The Batman, the greatest movie of all time. Zach Grauman joins the ranks of published authorhood. His new book, Longshot, is available for sale now. And what Russia's invasion of Ukraine tells us about America as a force for good in the world. This week on Forward. Welcome back. This week on Forward, we have a bunch of uh, 
new developments that have come down the pike. But first, I want to come clean and say that Zach has seen Batman and I have not. <laughs> and I'm rubbing it in, man. This movie, stop what you're doing. Stop listening to this podcast and go see Batman. I'm just kidding. Do it after you listen to this podcast. Is it technically the Batman? Probably right. Yeah, You're probably right. But it's awesome. I can't wait to see it. So I kind of wanted to see it, but then it didn't work out. So I'm seeing it at the end of this week. And I have to say, it's given me something to look forward to because I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to go see I agree. Bat I haven't felt that type of energy. Like, I'm excited about this, sadly, like in a while. Because when you feel it, you know when you're excited about something. Did you see Spider-Man No Way Home? Yes, I was less excited about that. But I was a little bit, were a little you, excited. So were you excited coming out of that? Yeah, I left really happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, true. right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I left happy with this one too, though. Is that movie overachieved? Like, so yes, I No Way Home, I was like, oh my gosh, I almost can't believe I'm seeing this. It was, I agree. This was, so here you go. Batman, y'all. Uh, the context I'll give you is my favorite. I'm not a movie buff per se, but I like movies. I like to look a little deeper than like the surface level of movies. Uh, Christopher Nolan, if I have to pick, is my favorite director. I thought uh, going back to Memento and... Uh, Inception and some of his earlier stuff, uh, The Prestige, like his stuff is awesome. And then what he did with the Batman series changed superhero movies forever. And that's not just my opinion. Many, many folks. I'm going to say that. something kind of tough. Sure. I feel like Chris Nolan's been on something of a downward slope. He's been, yes, I agree. It is hard to keep that excellence up, you know? Because Tenet was not good. Confusing. Confusing <laughs> as hell. I thought it was acted and shot well, just I didn't, didn't make. And I also sense. thought the final Batman movie was the weakest of them, uh, with the one with Bane, mm. Dark Knight Rises. The thing that Split made me, on that. the thing that made me dislike that movie was all of the police officers going into the tunnels. All which, uh, which didn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Parts of the logic didn't make sense. They're underground for approximately a week. <laughs> And then they come up and they don't have beards. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, like has, has anyone been showering down there? Apparently not. But like, they're all just like, it, it looks like they've been down there for a few hours. I mean, like, what the hell do you do down there for five all days? All those or cops would be a hot mess. And they have guns and shit. Yeah, that would be awful. <laughs> or, or just like at a minimum, you'd be kind of, you know, and then they run down. I guess I was like, I guess it's a metaphor, but it's like, they, you know, they're like running toward the other. Anyway, so that, that, that yeah. was one of the things that lost me. I thought that. Coming off The Dark Knight, which is one of the, which was great, probably the best Maybe superhero best movie of all time. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time, ignoring the genre. Um, tough, to, and Heath Ledger passed away. Yeah, totally. Like, which also added hype to his amazing performance. Like, go down yes. the list. Um, to, I, I thought he delivered like when the expectations were so high, you can't beat it. Like, I thought it was a pretty good job, all things considered. Um, and I did enjoy the movie a lot. Um, but I will say this Batman. Um, so I say like knowing that how much I love the last ones, I was like, all right. There are they going to kill it, like like ruin it, kill it? Um, and then I thought that the Ben Affleck Batman's are pretty awful. No, it's Zack Snyder, right? Like, yep. I, you know, no, I mean he's done some good stuff. I love, I love Three Hundred. I loved. Uh, I actually liked the Snyder cut of the Justice League. I didn't like what they came up with um, when the studio got their hands on it. Anyway, that was awful. I was like, what are they going to do with this? And they got Edward Cullen situation going on uh, with our boy Robert Pattinson as Batman, and it was. He might be my favorite Batman, honestly. First of all, he's got the jawline for it, man. Like, what a jawline on that dude. Like, I don't know if he's at work done. Doesn't matter. It's freaking, like, you're just, you're looking at his jaw half the movie, and it's a good jaw. Um, but he was, Batman's always, like, supposed to be a damaged character, right? Parents died, grows up super rich, lost in the world, right? Tries to use money for good, but in a dark way, right? But the Christian Bale Batman that was damaged was, like, 
like my parents generation boomer generation damage where it's like i got pent up shit and i have to break stuff to like get it out in unhealthy ways this was very like brooding 21st century damaged where bruce wayne is not this cocky philanthropist entrepreneur badass business guy figurehead in the community he's a damaged rich prince if you will and he's got the like he kind of looks like edward cullen from twilight with like the the hair swoop um he's pale he's brooding and then it made batman so much more interesting to me um because it really felt a little more relatable and then the last thing i say it's shot to ave maria essentially like it's shot to it's classical really? wow. and like it the movie opens with ave maria i'm not going to do spoilers but that's the only, like it opens with classical music and then every other fight scene is like theme to that ave maria um throughout the whole movie it's dynamite uh matt reeves the director kicked ass well done um go see it man totally worth it totally worth it there are a couple moments i would you know we can nitpick and we i don't want to spoil and stuff of like that but it was wonderful yeah i can't wait yeah I, I will say having it to look forward to has been a delight next week i can share my own experience uh which i'm sure will be positive because this yeah. thing is right on my alley truly yep. Just a random campaign story before we move on. Sure. You remember seeing Joker when we were running for president? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, because yeah, we, yeah. we were in New Hampshire. So here's what happens. You're campaigning for president, let's say. Yep. Your last event ends at 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, what are we going to do? do? Like, there's no Friday campaigning night. at like, you know, 10 p.m. And by the way, your Saturday events aren't always early. Like sometimes they are, but they're not. You know, it's usually it's a weekend early. It's like 1030 or so. So you yeah. could stay up kind of late. Not super late. So we'd be done at nine. And then I would. And the funny thing about being the candidate, too, is if I suggest it, then everyone's like, cool. Can't wait. But like <laughs> if I don't suggest it, then everyone's like, I guess we should pretend to work or like. Da -da -da. But like, what are you That's really going to do between 9 p.m. and midnight on like a Thursday or Friday night? Yeah, it's we either go to a bar or we do something. Right. Staff, and so yeah. I suggested like, hey, anyone want to see Joker? And then people were like, yeah. So do you remember seeing that? Yep. We saw movies all the time. We saw some bad ones. And some good ones. Yeah. So so Joker was a good one. Joker was. And a great then now one. I feel like the Batman is kind of a you know complement to that. To the extent you can take any deep societal uh, lessons from the fact that this is the new version of the Batman. Any thoughts? You definitely can. I think um, I don't want to spoil it, but they, the Riddler, the the villain, is very much a version of this. Um, it's honestly, guys, like the damaged men. Um, on all sides of the coin here. You have, it's a lot of what we're talking about. So I'm excited for you to see it and we can break it down. But the the villains themselves are, you know, have their own issues with their own masculinity. Uh, the heroes, for sure. Um, the the people that pick a side, right? Um, it's really well done. It sets it up for success. Um, the one thing, I, last thing I'll say is uh, Colin Farrell is in this movie, which I did not, I think I knew that like, Go, like, he's apparently unrecognizable unrecognizable because i forgot he was in it and did not i was like I wonder who that actor was and i was like that's colin farrell it's wonderful i've been listening to the soundtrack all day it's a little creepy to work to so don't really recommend that um anyway i'm curious like dm us if you hated it or like i'm curious like most people i've talked to have really liked it daily mail if said it was too like woke. it that's not true if, if you don't like it you have poor taste you suck <laughs> no actually i'm curious because I'm, I'm curious of our producers also love it. Yeah. So I at sat this next point, to I'm very, very much expecting to love it. I, last thing, I, I keep saying last thing I'll say, but this was fun. But I sat next to a guy who went to the movie by himself. I went with my sister because Carly can't wait, see Wait, 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 wait. Quick digression. <laughs> Do you see movies by yourself? I try not to, but I have. I'm trying to think of what last one I had. 
I usually, if no one wants to go with me, I usually just wait. I will say that I have 100% seen movies by myself. What was the last one you saw by yourself? Uh, you know, it, it's been a little while, but it, so this is one situation that I've been in. Um, I very much vividly remember this where uh, Evelyn and I have one young child or baby or toddler. Uh, the baby goes to sleep mm -hmm. at, you know, let's call it like 9.30 p.m. Evelyn goes to sleep with him. And then I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I think I could probably catch a late movie. And then I just forget, <laughs> like, why not do that? Like, I, I, so Father I, I, of the year. So I've definitely I done that. that. Uh, hmm. So there was a guy who saw it alone? Uh, so there was a guy who saw it. So I went with my sister because Carly can't see these movies. They, they give her nightmares and she just, she cries during, she cried at the end of Avengers Endgame, I think, or Infinity War, one of them. When She's, like half the people the well, you, you shouldn't be, yeah, you shouldn't be <laughs> I mean, crying. I suppose that's pretty. Yeah, uh, but most people aren't crying at the end. They're like, whoa, right? Uh, yeah. Anyway. But there was a guy who went by himself and he's clearly like a huge, clearly like a huge fan and just like giggling or like he's almost like clapping the whole time. And I, like normally I'd find that kind of annoying because it's like a noise. But I found it really endearing that he like really loved it and was clearly there for he was super excited about it. Um, and he seemed to thoroughly enjoy it. So that gives me hope that the, the true fans really love it, too. <laughs> to the extent that I have seen movies alone. I think virtually all of them were comic book movies or superhero movies. Mm. I would just be like, what? I, you know, there's when I show up and see the movie. And, you know, that's the kind of movie I would go see alone. Yeah. Criteria for that has to be either like you got nothing else to do, just but now with like all the streaming platforms, less so the case. Um, or the movie you got to see in, in theater, theaters. you know? Um, yeah, which is which has gotten weaker and weaker for me. I even see it saw Dune at home, which I know I was not supposed to do, but I was like, yeah. I saw it at home too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dune was definitely one of those. Probably was way it. better in theaters though. Like the shots in that movie are pretty wild. Okay, so right. see the Batman. See the Batman. And I can't wait to, to discuss this 2022 version. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more.
The second thing is I am holding in my hot little hand. What am I holding? Zach's new book. Look Zach is set to be a published author. The name of the book is Long Shot. How Political Nobodies Took Andrew Yang, That's Me, National, and the new playbook that let us build a movement. It's real, man. I'm holding my That's hand. That's the advanced copy. So we haven't, we don't have the hard ones yet. It but. is now on sale, pre-sale on Amazon. So yeah. you can look for it. It's called Long Shot Again. I'll put, I'm going to put it in my bio. You've now forced me to do a book launch, which I have not... Uh, Let's figure well, out when to do it. Well, this is the pre-launch. Yeah, you want to like, like the, the, the thing that is now available. And I want to say to everyone, uh, this is the book that you hoped I would write but did not. Uh, and by that, what I mean was uh, when you <laughs> bought right. forward, uh, if you bought forward, there were stories from the presidential, um, but that was not the backbone of the book, mm. uh, if you will. It was uh, in some ways uh, a narrative uh, from the candidate's perspective, but it didn't go into the nuts and bolts, the stages, the decisions, the drama. Like it, it didn't read like a movie. And Zach's book has all of that shit in it. It has all of like the uh, the what are we gonna do moments yeah. and the, like the debate room strategy and yeah, you know, stuff that you hoped that I would write about and did not. <laughs> Zach wrote about. But it was also a sign of the different experiences we each had where Zach thought strategically and tactically uh, and in the framework of a giant political campaign. And I did not because my jam was wake up, be like, what am I doing? A uh, local radio talk show right. here in New Especially Hampshire. Especially by the end, too. Okay. And then where are we going next uh, to a diner? Okay. And so, you know, like I, I was uh, consumed with just trying to knock out what was whatever in, was in front right, of me. Of course. And so then when I retraced my steps and wrote the book, like I, I frankly did not pretend that I was Zach. <laughs> um, but yeah. Zach does not need to pretend because Zach is Zach. Uh, and so this, this book is excellent. Uh, Evelyn is on the record as saying she liked this book more than my book. Uh, so well, I thought I mean, it's, it's funnier, like not that I'm funny. I'm not. The story's funny, though. Like the, it's a, the story's funny. The book is funny. No. I guess that means by definition you're funny. I guess like I'm a funny I'm a funnier writer than I am. Like if you hang out with me, you're not gonna be not like, funny. What a funny guy. <laughs> no <one thinks> that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you listen, y'all listen to this podcast. Like you know, like once in a while, I, you know, I bet like 100 when it comes to jokes. You know, most 90% of my jokes are not funny. But the book is funny. The book is funny. Um, well, I got to edit it, right? Um, I got to cut out. And I had editors. I literally had people paid to edit out my bad jokes. Um, so, so it's just good ones. The so this, ratio is good. So look, the point of this, like, um, and we'll do a, a kind of a deeper dive on some of the tactics in there. Because I think, like, people I get to get, interview uh, Zach. It'll be fun. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, we're doing it. But like, whether you agree, whether, no matter where people come down on you, or me, or your politics, or our policies, or what we did. There's no doubt that we were on to something, and like I wanted to back up. We like, objectively what did we... overperformed and had an correct. Impact. And like, yeah. what did we do that I thought other campaigns should have been doing? And what does this say for the rest of politics and branding in general? Because we, frankly, played a different game. And so the book is like, what was that playbook that let us play the different game? So, and I really would give you full credit, Zach, because you always had that different game in mind uh, and you could see what other people were doing in the conventional wisdom and you were like that that's dumb and then you would chart well, uh, your own path in part because you were new but in part because you were confident and had your own vision 
Uh, and my well, quote you. on this book jacket is, my campaign would never have reached millions without Zach's leadership and strategies. Anyone who wants to make change in the world or who simply loves an incredible story should read this book. Thanks, Andrew man. Yang, and I cop to that. It is <laughs> excellent. It truly is the book that you hoped I would write but did not because Zach wrote it. So it's going to be fun. Pre-order your copy right now, long shot. Uh, we're, we'll continue to talk about it. We'll actually, heck, uh, Zach will go through some of the big lessons from it. Maybe he'll even do a reading on one of the podcasts. We'll do right an episode on it, probably closer out. to launch. So it comes out in May, but you can pre-order it now. I recommend if you're going to buy it, buy it early. So because it's definitely going to light the world on fire and definitely getting the New York Times bestseller list. And I've heard a lot of celebrities have said it's the best book they've ever read, but that's just I've heard. I, I'm not sure. You know, many people come say down. many people many people numerous people have reported it it's awesome but yeah pre-order it now and then you can be among the first to read it and then um, we can uh, talk about it in earnest so it's gonna be great um it's fun i will say it is really weird it's weird talking about myself you know what i'm saying um, well one thing i, I don't know how you do I it i will man. relate yeah is uh that promoting a book you wrote is difficult so I'm, I'm going to talk about the different orders of difficulty of promoting shit okay cool so <laughs> Wait, you're actually an expert in this. Yeah, so because this I've, is, this I've is done use useful I, shit. I've done uh, each of these. I'm going to separate it into okay. into five categories, uh, <laughs> and I'm, and it's going to be from easiest to hardest. Okay. Okay. So the hardest things to promote are just you yourself, and uh, the main example of that is political candidacy. It's very mm. hard to be like, I'm running for mayor because uh, or president or city council or school board I'm awesome. or whatever it is, because it's like, oh, like, then what's your jam? And then you have to immediately follow it up with like, and here's why I'm so awesome, impressive, moral, driven. Here's my cause. And et cetera, better et than other people, right? Like you're asking people to make a judgment there. And they know? have to make an objective judgment on just how you are as a performer. Yeah. Because people will do it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, what, you're running for Congress? All right, let me hear your spiel. And then they're like, oh, th this was, you know, good or not good. I'll say this. We churned through consultants and staffers on the campaign. Not like we ended up firing them, but they'd come in the car and you'd after a performance, like you'd get in the car and they'd be in there. And they would just start beating into you and like nitpicking, like, don't smile like that. Don't breathe like that. Say it this way. And I'm like, you know, we do seven of these a day. So imagine like you guys, the guys who spend two hours a day in aggregate getting shit on by you. What an awful experience. Stop. Like that, like. And people couldn't help themselves. It's politics. Anyway. Well, it's because that, that, that's the way they think they're going to add value. Yeah. You know? And it's, it, I mean, it's that's why like, they become puppets. It's a little bit like lawyering because like lawyers, mm. you have to come in. The way you add value is by pointing out like the, you know, the thing that could blow up in your face. So you, you get intrinsically negative. It's one reason why I left the law as quickly as I did. Uh, interesting. Um, it's like the consultant thing. Negative, huh? That it's makes like sense. The, 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 all right. So number one is you're the candidate. That is the hardest thing to promote because yep. then you have to just be like me. I'm awesome all the time. Yep. But a not so distant second is I am uh, promoting a book that I wrote mm. because the book is very much identified with you. It's a reflection of you. It's a reflection of you. There's no way that you can say like, hey, I wrote this book, but I really don't care. And it's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you clearly spent hundreds of hours writing the book. Now, and a refined version of you, too. Like you had to take time to not as a one off thing you said. It's like. So I was an author before I was a political candidate, mm -hmm. and it was deeply uncomfortable promoting that first book that I wrote. Smart People Should Build Things, published in 2014, and going around being like, read this book. It's like re really important or profound or yep. impactful. Excruciating. It's awful. So I'm not thrilled about this book tour, if you will. The, you know, like I'm, this you know, book promotion, fun. period, book promotion, art. Whatever it, it's, call it. yeah. it's uncomfortable. 
Yeah. So, uh, and you can lump into. And by the way, boo-hoo, we wrote books. It's hard. That's not what I'm saying. We're just no, just it's just generally it's just difficult. Just, yeah. It's yeah. Like, and so, right, <laughs> right next to book, you could fill in any creative project, and it would be the same. Mm, art would be similar, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I wrote the, these these poems. I guess it's close to a book. Hey, I made this indie film. Hey, mm, I wrote a song. Hey, this is my one-man Broadway show. Yes. Hey, this yes. is my my music. Yes. All of these very painful to promote because you know they're going to be making a judgment and it is like a you know reflection of you a reflection of you and there's a a moment where it seems like a little bit self-indulgent for you Mm -hmm. to be trying to get them to listen to your music or whatever of course pay attention to me you feel uncomfortable yeah so this is category number two very very hard yep category number three is when uh you're doing something on behalf of someone else it gets easier Yes. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, my friend is doing this. And, and so you sell someone else. It's easier than selling yourself. I am being a good friend by promoting them. And so, you know, please do check it out. And yeah. like that, this is me showing that I'm connected and, you know, like have friends or whatever. And I'm a good friend. Yeah. I used to work with financial advisors and they all they could sell they manage money for people and they have to sell themselves and their investment management skills. Every one of them were better if they had someone else selling their investment management skills. Yeah. So um, having a hype person, a wing person, hype whatever. Person. Yep. Very, very important. Number four, hey, here's my company, my brilliant company idea. Your idea, project. Yeah, so so this is uh, doable because, oh, sorry, this is, in, this is an order of difficulty. Yeah, it's order of difficulty. Number one, the hardest is I'm the candidate. Number mm-hmm. two is here's my deep artistic offering from my soul yeah. and thus judge me. <laughs> Song, movie, book, yeah. play, show, whatever it is. Yep. Okay, number three is I have this company idea I want to pitch you on. Okay. That's number three. Number four is I have a nonprofit I, I want you to donate to. That one's easy because you have a uh, sense of morality. You're yep, a good person. A cause. And, and then and okay. the number five is when you're promoting someone else on someone else's behalf. Okay. That's the easiest because then you're like, hey, I'm a good person. My friend is running for office, doing this thing, yep. and I'm trying to help them out. And they say no. If they say no, it's because they don't like your friend, right? It's not. Pretty much the further from you the thing is you're promoting, the easier it is. And also what the people get back. Because you see more selfless. Mm -hmm. But also what they get back. You're promoting a company, right? Yes, it's about you. But theoretically, the company maybe offers a service or something to try or some sort of value prop, right? Yeah, there'll be like Um, a value exchange. Yes. Um, But the nonprofit and and your friend, those make you seem selfless. Yes. And so there's something selfish about I'm mm-hmm. running for office or this is my artistic offering. Yes. Now I'd argue you, if you want to leave a mark on the world or make the world a little different than it was, like doing one of these five activities is in that, you know, possibly par for the course, right? It's in the doing, it's in the category of what you need to do to accomplish something, right? Um, well, at a minimum number five. Yes. Uh, or four. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now 
seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Um, so I made a list of my life goals in my 20s, uh, which I recommend highly. If you make a list of your yeah, life goals, have you done I this? I did. Um, they shift a bit, but I have. Have you um, accomplished most of them? No. I had a couple. Wow, what are they? I wanted to, oh, my, my life's goal is to make a billion dollars and buy the Buffalo Bills and keep them in Buffalo forever. And I've yeah, thought yeah, about that yeah. as like facetiously, but I'm like, no, I actually want to do this. And like, I want, it has to be a legitimate offer chance to buy the Buffalo Bills. Cause I imagine the Pagulas who own them, they may, I don't want my whole life to be on a whim. Like he's like, no, I don't want to sell them to you. Right. But like legitimately get at the table, make a real offer. Is there a chance the Bills leave Buffalo? Always a chance. Small market team. All right. Always a chance. Okay. Any so Bills fan, like, yeah. I'm so, what are these other life goals of yours? Uh, one, I mean, that was one I wanted to, some of them I've, I've hit, right? I wanted to get involved in politics. Um, Done. Did that pretty well. Book, um, proof, book. I was, yeah, I was like, I was like, maybe right. I was like in the like maybe category. Um, the other ones are like family and personal and things like that. Um, yeah. My, I was what about you? Get married, have two kids. Yeah. Uh, at minimum. Um, though, I, though two is fine. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to say I've knocked out like 80% of my life's goals already. And I play on house money. Yeah, you know, they do morph to your point. Um, so Yeah, uh, or like sometimes you think you want to, well, one of my goals was to start something, right? Um, right? So you I started did, suit up. I started suit up. So I did that and that was great. And I was like, okay. Um, then my other one big goal was I want to take a ridiculous risk. I look back and like, That's I'm happy also I did. Done, yeah. did that with you. Um, um, but then it was like, you know, one goal is like I wanted to run for office. And like, I still feel that sometimes, but... You know, that's Try it out with a book tour, bro. Different calculation, uh, different calculus now. So, sorry. Oh, I, so some of my goals were things like improve millions of people's lives for the better. Have I done that? Arguable, arguably not. Yeah. Have um, something good to write on your tombstone. So some of them were very, very big. But the reason I raised this is that one of my goals at the time when I wrote this list was elevate a national political figure. That's right. It was, right. It was not be one. It was just like help one. <laughs> ended up being yourself. Um, <laughs> and, and so th this was your argument is that, hey – in order to accomplish something, you need to tackle some of these promotional elements. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that it's okay to be in number five, which is, look, I'm just going to help other people who are doing great stuff. Yeah, You don't need to be the doer yourself. You can just be like, hey, I see someone who's Do awesome invest, and doing something promote, and let, right. me, let me help them. And so that's where I was when I drafted this list in my 20s. Like, I don't need to be the guy. Uh, the, the problem that has occurred now is that... Uh, if you want to build certain types of things, like let's say a political movement, like you kind of need a person to hang it on. Yep. And in this case, I was the person. Uh, and now I still am right. a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so the, the, the thing I would suggest is number one, write your life's goals down. They can be 
uh, small or big. So one I had was, you know, own a dog, which we had and unfortunately had to give away because our, yeah. our older son was allergic. Yeah. Um, stay in good physical condition, which, you know, is kind of come and gone. <laughs> come and come, gone, come again. Running for office, it turns out, ran very much uh, Awful against, for physical health um, and some uh, mental physical health. health. So, so some things are, are like that. There are, there are other goals that were very ambitious, but writing down these goals been incredibly beneficial mm. because when you have a choice, then you actually make the choice that is in alignment with your goals. And if you haven't written your goals down, then you're not really going in a direction. Yep, it's uh, just a dream. And then uh, choosing to elevate other people, I think is a fine way to go. I do not think you need to be the person. Um, if you find yourself as the person, then, you know, fantastic too. But like, I, I wouldn't put that on people. So let me tell you this add on. So I used to, when I was at UBS, you know, think about it. I mean, it's like corporate machine of a for-profit bank, right? And so, and I'm in the philanthropy side of things. So there's all these millennials coming to me, my peers, younger, a little older than me, come to me like, I'd love to do something that made me feel good about what I'm doing. Something that, and uh, what advice do you have? Or how do I get into what you're doing? They weren't like wanting my job, but they wanted to know how to get in, like the impact space or feel better about their- Everyone wanted to work in that space, true. Yeah, it's a, it's a, at least it's a base that sounds good on paper for sure. Um, but the best advice I could give people is because I got it myself. Um, I'll say to you is if someone said to me, uh, stop asking yourself, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you see yourself? I hate that question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Or what are your life's goals? X, Y, Z. I mean, those are fine. But the real question is, if you died today, right now, I just pulled out a gun, shot you, you're dead. I got to deal with the consequences, but it doesn't matter to you. You're dead, right? What would you be mad about not accomplishing? What would make you angry? And what's cool about the answer to that question is that it's essentially, you may, hopefully you'll know instantly, but if not, you'll know within 24, 48 hours. You'll know, because you'll think about it, it'll eat at you and you'll know. And that answer doesn't, it, you'll be surprised a lot of folks, it's not always career driven. Actually, most of the times it's not. It might be, I wish I spent more time with my parents. I wish I traveled to Tuscany. Generally it's gonna be personal. I wish I became an expert driven. in something, right? And then what you do, so for me, it was, and it changes too over the course of your life. So I said, one was like, well, I never started anything. Maybe I should start something, right? And then now I was like, frankly, like my big one now is like, now I want to frankly have more influence and frankly, like raise money, like raise money for good, like use the money for good um, or build something that makes money for good. Cause I've learned the, the, inf the power of that. It's kind of where I'm at. I'm still kind of crystallizing it, but you'll learn that. And what you'll find is not always career driven, but it can drive your career. Because yeah. you may learn, I love wine, and now you need a job that lets you, maybe you wanna be in San Francisco where you can go up to Napa every once in a while and learn or, or live in Italy. Or you wanna spend more time with your parents. You wish you're a better father, husband, X, Y, Z. Now you set up the career to make sure you're not living with regret, um, which is what we're kind of all trying to avoid. We all wanna maximize the time we have. So anyway, best advice I ever got. Um, I didn't make it up. Friend Sarah Waymeyer made it up, or I don't know if she made it up, but she told me about it. I'll give her credit. She's a former colleague of mine. She probably doesn't listen to this, but I gotta give credit. It's not me. Um, so a couple of very small things happened. Maybe they're not that small, but I I I got a couple of uh, affirmations over the last week that I want to share with people. Um, so the first was that I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post about struggle boys and men. Uh, yep. I think most people here have read that, read it. Uh, At least heard about us. You should read it. It's not that long. We should read it. It's yeah, you page. should read it. It's good. Um, I don't well, know. I don't put the OG version out there. By the way, it was better. No offense to Washington Post because I do like that they publish a lot of op eds. Um, the, they did. They edited this bad boy up. They, they edited it up. Yeah, I mean they have to. It's like their job. Yeah. I'm not saying. 
so uh, an English textbook uh, company, not an not British, but like a textbook, uh, you know, it's like English composition. Oh, like English the subject. Yeah, English okay. the subject. Yep. Uh, contacted me oh, and, yeah. and wants to use that op-ed in their textbook that would be taught in high school English classes yeah. around the country as an example of English composition and like you know, what I guess sound argumentation. Um, Look so at that, I'm man. super pumped about it because it one it's you know kind of a nice feeling, but two the substance of that article is actually going to be taught in classrooms because if you read it, then you'll be like, oh snap, you know apparently. Like you know, boys uh, struggle. Uh, you know, like it makes me very happy. Yes. But sometimes you produce things and you have no idea if it's going to uh, reach an audience, make mm -hmm. an impact. Is it just going to be like a you know uh, like a pebble in a pond where there are ripples and the ripples disappear? But on this one, I'm feeling pretty good because hell, if it's getting taught in thousands of classrooms, you know, like it will probably influence uh, some people's thinking. It's a good legacy, theoretically. Um, yeah, like it, it's kind of high on my list of things. More normal people's being used as a, as a textbook in some in a lot of college classrooms, which made yeah. me very happy, yep. gave me a similar feeling. But this feels even uh, wider in terms of scope because it's like, oh, a lot of high school kids be, be reading that. Yeah, it's massively important. I, look, I, let me ask you this. Um, I think it's good advice when we're talking about starting things. You said this to me. I wanted you to share it with everybody and elaborate on it. You said every time you start something, you're going to gain a bunch of friends and you're going to lose a bunch of friends. If That's you do something true. significant, for sure. Yeah. I mean, not, if it's nothing, then you won't care. But yeah. Um, and you said that to me and I was like, absolutely. Because you have a bunch of people that say you're, they're your friend. But then when push comes to shove, you're like, hey, will you donate to this cause? Or will you come to my launch event? Or will you send this to your friend, like introduce me to your friend that works at XYZ, kind of like little things you'll ask your good friends to help you with something. You'll be surprised who does it and who doesn't. You'll be extremely surprised. Yep. Um, it's happened to me over and over. Mind-blowingly surprised, actually. And it's, it's even more surprising, though, the folks that actually do help, because um, it's usually not, you, not who you expect. Well, you you form relationships out of it. Like yeah. someone will drop everything to help you, and then all of a sudden you're, you're like, like wow, I love you. You are great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I meet great people through the forward party every single day, and I appreciate yep. the heck out of it. It's true of the Yang Yang Two and the presidential. Always uh, you lobby know. three. Learn. I'm still meeting new people. Actually, meeting a ton of new people. The today. lobby three people are really that's going great. Awesome, by the way. It's going fun. We're excited to, to make that happen. Um, yeah. So that was one really positive piece of news. It was uh, small, but it felt great. The other thing that I guess objectively would be considered significant is I was asked to speak at the commencement of. Uh, Columbia Law School, which I'm a graduate of. Yeah. And so you can imagine being asked to speak at the commencement of your alma mater. It's like, it's a know, big it's a deal, good... man. How are you feeling? I haven't congratulated you personally. Congrats. Uh, yeah, I, I got that and I was like, wow, really? <laughs> what, that what, what, via was email? what happened? Like they just said, Dear Andrew, like, we uh, of Columbia, so hear friend, ye, hear ye. A friend who's a professor there texted me being like, hey, uh, okay. great, great news. They, they want you to speak. You'll get an official thing. But let me know whether you'd be positively inclined before they, they send they, it. The drum up. A yeah, so letter. apparently, you know, they don't want to be they don't want to be turned down, I guess. And so that I was like, out. so I looked at the date and was like, I can do that. And then so then they sent me a nice letter. Are you uh, I'm assuming you're going to write a speech and not wing it. Yeah, I'm going to write. I've actually started to think a bit Good. about what, what I'm going to say. I want it to be relevant to people who are at that agent stage, yep. uh, uh, which I, I do remember. I, um, uh, but yeah, you know, it, I mean, a commencement speech is its own form. You know what I mean? I don't know what my ambitions are. My ambitions are just to do a good job for the people who are right there. Um, but I will probably write something and share it. 
because yeah. you know, I mean, why, why, writer, do, why do the work just for a few hundred people if you can? <laughs> well, very rarely do you get to. I mean, you're different running for president, but very rarely in life do you give, get to give a speech where hundreds or thousands of people like are actively listening. And you can even argue parts of politics; not everybody's actively listening. But I would say at a couple moments, weddings. And graduation speeches, people are listening. They're like hoping someone gives a good speech when <laughs> you go. If you've ever been to a college graduation, you're like, I hope this doesn't suck. Like, you know, it's hot. Maybe look for someone to distract you. I will say that was on my one of my goals, like give a commencement speech. And when I was a senior graduating from college, they had a student commencement speaker option. Uh-huh. And I was like, fuck yes, I'm going to do this. One, because I didn't want, it was for my majors, for public policy. It was like, yeah, we probably had So you, you got chosen? I got, well, no one... A few people applied, but it wasn't like as competitive as I thought it was. Um, so I got chosen. I gave the speech and I didn't tell my parents and surprise them, which was hilarious because it's funny. Um, well. Proud moment, I think, for them. But um, but honestly, like no one wanted it because everybody was hungover. Um, it was graduation day or whatever. Did but, you um, did you move mountains with it? I moved mountains. Uh, I thought it was a good speech. Uh, yeah, it was good. I thought it was good. I, I probably probably somewhere on YouTube. Um, but I will say that's pressure fueled, by the way. Um, similar to not, yeah, it's up there with the best man speech in the sense that everybody knows you're giving the speech. The most, the most nervous I've ever been was for my best, my, my brother's terrifying. best man That's speech. That's terrifying. Because you know, you only got one shot at it. One shot. Everybody's and, remembering it. And if it goes poorly, you never get it back. I feel like we to- we set talk about this far. It sets a tone for the whole wedding. There, there have been so few speeches I've had to give where it's like, I'm not going to get this one back. Where, where, where is, <laughs> that one, you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't like, get married again. Right? president, it's like, well, I gave him a speech. I can do it like, better tomorrow, right? Yeah, I'll just do it better tomorrow. But then uh, for, for that one, it was like, well, my brother hopefully just gets married once. More nervous before the best man speech or the Democratic debate stage first time. Maybe the second time because the first time you were really sick. Yeah. Uh, which I talk about in the book, actually. Best man speech. Really? Yeah. That's I was crazy. really, I was like, uh, I, I, I was so nervous that I, you know, was quarreling with Evelyn because, you know, we were running late or whatever. I was like, I really cannot be late. Like, I, uh, you know, like yeah. the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, I was very, very yeah. nervous. Uh, I was a little bit nervous. I also married uh, my cousin to her husband. Yep. And this was I when I was running for president was and it. I was totally unprepared. I was like, and, and I was like, it'll be fine. And then I got up there and then I actually uh, did get nervous. I was like, uh, oh, yeah. no. You told me you did a good job, though. You did it went well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I landed the plane, you know. Okay, landed the plane. They're still married to this day. Yeah, they did it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's sure crazy. Was... You were I was very nervous because the other thing about if you're ever a best man, um, everybody knows you're best man. So they ask you about your speech the whole time before it happens. So if you're. If you're uh, just 10x your nerves just because of that fact alone. Like if you're kind of nervous, the fact that it was like, are you ready for your speech? Are you ready for your speech? Are you nervous for your you speech? You feel like you're carrying the weight of the wedding on your, your shoulders. Which is really weird because you shouldn't be. Not your wedding. Anyway. I did feel that. I felt it too. And again, Don't and fuck up. And they're still married. So, you know, I'm like doing great. I'm still married. Yep. Brother's still married. My cousin's still married. Uh, so... So, so those are some of the positive things that have been coming around uh, where it, it feels like there's some energy uh, lifting the message and ideas we're putting out there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So the, the big subject uh, we wanted to talk about this week was born of, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is horrendous and tragic. Uh, there were some comments that we were too glib about it um, because we have casual conversations. I want to be very clear. The situation's fucked up. It's dark. It breaks my heart. I'm not okay with this. It's not casual to talk about World War III. You and I have a tendency to try to see the positive things in life and, and laugh. Um, it's how we cope. I'm sorry if people were offended by that. I mean, I, that's the type of thing I'm, I don't like to apologize too often for internet comments, but that's a real one to me. Sorry. Keep yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like every day you wake up and you uh, zoom in and you see the uh, the death and the strife and the yeah. refugees and the rest. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's awful. So to that point... So as someone who whose family immigrated to this country, the, the sense of America as being a good place, I mean, there's this idea of American exceptionalism where everyone's like America is a special place in the world. And I think, uh, you know, it was uh, Shining City on a Hill. City on a Hill. Yeah. Was that Reagan? That was Reagan. Yeah. So so uh, Shining City on a Hill. Yep. Uh, and then in, in during Reagan, you had the Berlin Wall come down. You yep. had the USSR. Uh, lose the Cold War. Right. And so there was this arc of America as this uh, force for good and developing democracy. There was this idea, wow, was this incredibly positive. But they called a period like the end of history because they said at this point, democracy and uh, globalized economy were going to win. And then that was that. What a, mm. what a happy, positive moment that was. Uh, now, things have kind of rebounded um, because... Um, you've had uh, authoritarian countries come up and demonstrate that there are different models of uh, competitiveness and success, mm -hmm. most prominently China. Mm -hmm. well, there was like a long period of time when America thought, hey, if we can just get commerce in there, then they're going to liberalize. They're going to wind up democratizing because you can't have this thriving Chinese middle class buying washing machines and watching Western movies who are uh, going to accept a repressive regime. Of course, that was all wrong. Like that, it, it turns out that they were perfectly happy with, um, not perfectly happy. I mean, I don't mean to say that, but that that like you know, there hasn't been like a real contest of mm -hmm. um, ideas within China in terms of democracy versus uh, authoritarianism. So the the there was an arc throughout the '80s, certainly under Reagan and Bush, and then uh, I would I would argue it persisted through the '90s that America was this exceptional democracy. Yes. Uh, and then there's been this increased questioning of that. There's been like an increased questioning of conventional histories um, saying that, uh, you know, like, a, and again, America does have massive moral stains uh, on its uh, on itself um, throughout its history. But I, I still feel like this should be a time for a reinspection of both America's place in the world and whether one would accept that America, despite its failings, is a force for improving people's lives uh, everywhere mm -hmm. around the world, hopefully. Um, and, and also that there are massive opportunities for us to improve people's lives here and now, you know, within our borders. Uh, that There's like a positivity, you know, it's like that this since if you lose the faith that America will do the right thing, then you lose something very, very enormous. And one of the things that I try to do um, 
and and people you know sometimes you know said like oh this approach won't work or whatnot I, but i think you'll appreciate this having started a nonprofit is you you believe that someone's going to help and then you kind of present that belief to them and then sometimes they help <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yep like i i feel that about america where it's like you believe america will help whether it's help the the ukrainian people uh, end this war and and uh, convince Putin that this war was deeply profane and unjust, right. um, or whether it's helping Americans live a better life, mm -hmm. uh, where you say, look, uh, you know, there is no reason why we need to have this level of scarcity and deprivation and poverty in the richest country in the history of the world. Like we can actually make those changes. Uh, so the, the this is something that. Um, I, I believe in my heart first that this is a good country and that the people are good. Um, but I also think it's a better way to go because it's more likely to lead to what you want. Mm. It's more likely to lead to good places. Right. Let me see this real quick. I wanna, I'm going to do what you've done to me a number of times. I'm going to quote myself. And this is actually going to be real meta because I'm going to quote. Look at this. He's quoting a book that has not yet been published, but that you can buy. Uh, you can buy. Right now. I'm going to quote myself quoting someone else when you're young you think the cavalry is coming to save us when you grow up you realize that you are the cavalry quote andrew yang i don't know where you got that quote from but you're my source on this and it's kind of what you're saying it's like america by like or is the bill clinton quote where he said there's nothing wrong with america that can't be fixed about with what's right with, about america with, yeah there's nothing wrong with america that can't be fixed with what's right about america and theoretically, America is set up to bring the cavalry. That is what it's set up to do. Like a pure, like close, you know, a massive democracy. The question I have for you is if, if America doesn't exist right now in the, in the form it's in, in its superpower form, who stops Putin? Maybe the EU, and that's a big maybe. Like maybe NATO, right? That's not the EU, but well, maybe hey, NATO. I mean, you got to know that the U.S. is the muscle of NATO. Yeah. So NATO less, or U.S. less NATO. Like I, he probably does what he wants, and that's the point. Like if we don't exist, the the other major domino that everyone's talking about is China invading Taiwan. Yeah, because because there are a lot of parallels. Of course, uh, and I obviously have deep ties to the region, as the debate moderators would say, because they always just ask me China questions. Um, but you have deep ties, but, China. Jesus. Well, to the region. I mean, no, I have yeah, family I'm in kidding, Taiwan. Yeah, I have family in China too. So, uh, but everyone knows that uh, what's happening in Ukraine will, and the U.S. response, um, will be something of an indicator of the response to. Uh, an act of aggression on the part of China against Taiwan to right. reintegrate because historically, so Russia's making the case, Hey, Ukraine is part of Russia, USSR. Like we go back a long way. It turns out Ukrainians do not want to be part of some reconstituted USSR. Yep. Uh, now the parallels with China and Taiwan, uh, they were one country, yep. uh, until the late 1940s. Uh, and then they, the nationalists came over, um, and so they've been distinct from each other for, you know, it's called 73 uh, years or whatever it is. Um, but it, China has a very long, you know, frame of reference. So they'd be like, hey, we're, we're one country. 
Uh, and so that's been their attitude from, you know, day one. Um, so for them to try and take back Taiwan is just reclaiming uh, something that has always been part oh, of you, theirs, yeah. which is, I, I believe, kind of the Russian thinking, which obviously that, that's right. completely uh, off base. Um, so your your question about an American vacuum of power and what happens, I mean, it's it's something people are asking around the world. Yeah. Because like it or not, there really is no heavyweight. And no one likes to think, this is the problem, like, no one likes to think like this. We're talking about necessary evils. No one likes to think that. You know, like if we're, if you don't think America's good, but we're a necessary evil because that evil's worse, right? Um, and maybe that's what it is. You know, like America's done a bunch of terrible things to get to where it is, right? Done a bunch of amazing things too, right? Um, capitalism causes a whole bunch, it helped us build the greatest military in the world, right? And the most powerful um, put resources to work very, very quickly. It's also had a bunch of people pile up at the bottom. It's been unjust in many ways, right? This is these are the these are questions no one knows the answer to, right? But I I think your point, which is a good one, is that as we look at this war, it's a f powerful and good reminder of what actual evil looks like. Yes, you know, and and that framing troubled institutions like a country with problems like America as evil in the same way is not right. It's not the same. No. And it should, things like this should unite us. Um, I don't know if the media is set up anymore to, to get to us to get us to a national consensus. Cash relief and UBI is actually the closest thing I've seen to a national consensus on anything in a while. Uh, and, and that we all <laughs> want to help Ukraine uh, and the Ukrainian people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like that's, that, a, that's this is close. close. This is the biggest to, one we've seen. Yeah. That's as close to a uh, rallying cry as we've seen. Um, so we're going to unpack this in a, in a future episode um, in ways in, in terms of this, let's call it relative evil, which is, sounds strange, but it's, re it's relative morality in a way, um, applied morality. Oh, you um, know what it is, Zach? It's like it, it's framing something troubled as evil when mm. when troubled might be a better descriptor. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, like I told a lie but I'm not a liar, right? Like it's what, like, I mean, if you do it all the time, then you're an actual liar. But if you make a mistake, I don't think you're a liar, right? You're imperfect, yeah, and right? I, I think now there's is, certain things that don't, you know, you this, shot somebody, like I shot I think it's one of the things that people <laughs> sense about like uh, the forward party and me and the rest of it is like, I'm very, very reluctant to categorize just about anyone as genuinely evil. Um, because in my experience, there are very, very few evil people. Uh, you know, Vladimir Putin, now that's evil. Um, but, uh, you know, just about anyone else who's having an honest disagreement, uh, I don't put in that category at all. And one of the symptoms of polarization that we have is that people are willing to cast their ideological enemies or just someone who disagrees with them on something as uh, as evil. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a disaster. Uh, like I, I, you know, I'm just myself very much not, um, not on that page. Uh, and I, I think that we should try and get as many people away from that page as we can. Do you think that makes you a better or worse politician? Probably a worse politician yeah. because uh, political figures like to cast things as uh, conflicts between good and evil. Yeah. And it's like, you hey, you, you got to get us the resources we need to defeat evil this one more time. And if we do this, then all will be well. I mean, I, I think that's one reason why the dissatisfaction um, among Democrats uh, right now is pronounced is because it was framed as 
defeat Trump and then all of these all incredible gone. and then all these incredible things will happen. Like like one of the things that boggles my mind when I hear it and I hear it all the time is when a political figure talks about it's like, hey, if you elect me, we will defeat racism, defeat sexism, defeat. And I'm just like, OK, let me and get we'll this applaud straight. that, by the way. We stand up and get excited about that. No, 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 let, let me here. get let me get this yeah. straight. If you're in office, then no one then we won't be a racist society or a sexist society anymore. It's like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's kind of the, the, the thing that yeah. that, you know, we we're kind of excited about Obama. Obama it's like, oh, this sure. will mean we're not racist any, anymore. Um, so, so when we continue to make those appeals and then the reality does not change, um, then people get, uh, kind of, you know, fatigued, disheartened. Like you can't motivate people with fear and hatred, um, all of the time, uh, and then not have it either exhaust people or distort them. Mm. That's the, it's the difference between a good politician and a good operator. So I love this. So Medicare for all, right? If you're a good politician, you're going to have a stance on Medicare for all. Like keep it as is or we're going to Medicare for all and that's it. It's free health care for whatever it is, right? If you're a good operator and you want to get something done, you're like, okay, right now we have Medicare for nobody you know, in this hypothetical in, in, you know, situation. Would I take Medicare for 80% over what I, the current situation? Yes. Would a good operator take 60 to 70%? Yes. But we don't because... It's good versus evil, right? If you're not Medicare for all, if you're Medicare for 99%, you're evil. You're out. And we've lost our ability to negotiate. I actually talk about it in the book. It's like that's your brand is so identified with a strong issue, you can't compromise. It's bad politics to compromise. You have all the incentives to go the other way. So to, to sum up, America uh, has its problems, but it's no fucking Russia. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh about that. But I am because it's like the rat, you know, I, I sometimes think we should call this podcast the rational progressive. Like I consider myself extremely progressive in the sense that I want to make the country better. You want to help people do and yeah. do, you know, do. But I want to do it in a way that's going to work. And like, I'd rather get called out for being an asshole. I'd rather be everyone think I'm an asshole, well, but solve the problems. Yeah. I mean, th th this is the, the increasing problem. Yeah. My friend is that uh, we're arguing, arguing. Um, meanwhile, our institutional performance keeps getting worse and worse and like people's lives getting worse and worse and like the arguments just get more and more heated mm. and in, you know, uh, you and I just want to actually, uh, make things work better and solve the problems. Well, you could call that ra rational progressive. You could call that pragmatic. You could call that a lot Fordist. of things. You call it a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, I call it Fordist. But, um, no. there but, are more people that think like us, like this than there are that you see in the news that are extremist. It's probably, I think that, and you know this because you live this with the Ford party, but I, I do. we have to bring together the rational middle if we can. And the rational middle, I'm going to go on a limb, thinks that America is a good place, a good people, a good country. And for my money, they are right. Amen. Amen. Preach on brother. All right, we'll be back next week. We got John Wood on Monday. From Braver Angels. Yes. And you and I back Thursday. Book's out. Check it out. Long shot. Long shot. You can Google long shot by Zach or you can, it'll be on my Twitter bio. Check it out. Uh, Get this book. We're going to do a reading next week. You can read it. No, we're not we're doing We're going to read it. So we're going to do spoken word. That's actually one of my constant jokes is that like I would just bust out my book and be like, and now I'm going to read. Now. <laughs> and now chapter two. I did, have, <laughs> I did read the audio book. That's an adventure too. We'll talk about that. Man, yeah. it's a yeah, lot. Yeah. 
It's going to be Zach as author coming up. So, yeah, you guys definitely need to get a copy. Reading Rainbow was my favorite show growing up, man. That's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Pick it up and put it down.